Welcome to Understand Nostradamus. I'm your host, Michael Faco, and I'm going to pick it up right where I left off in the last episode with the premise that Nostradamus is not so much the prophet of doom as he is the prophet of your news and current events now. So here are even more prophecies for now. I left it off with Quatrain 117 going into Quatrain 448. And if you look at where we are since then, where has it not flooded around the world? From Beijing to Vermont to South Korea to Oslo and back. Yet, the Amazon River, the Mississippi River, and many of the rivers of Europe are all at their lowest points on record. So despite all this heavy rain, it seems that much of the food-producing areas are still in drought. Now, if you look at your news and current events, it matches right up with what 117 says, as if he read it in your news. So what has it said in the news? Well, when you look around, you had records broken all over. New York skies were choked out with orange smoke. Phoenix was blistering. You had heat records all through Greece with wildfires. All through France. All through Italy. Places like the Acropolis and the Colosseum needed to be closed down in the peak heat of the day. Look at the documentaries you see. There's been a lot of them, and they all come to the major conclusion that there will be a lot longer droughts and then sudden bursts of heavy rain. Exactly what Quatrain 117 says. NASA came out with a great report this summer based on their gray satellites, which test groundwater levels all over the globe. Its final report said groundwater levels are exceedingly low, but the report's conclusion says there will be much longer extended droughts and then pluvials, which means heavy downpours and floods, which is Quatrain 117. So it seems like Quatrain 117 is really just the reading of the news, your news. We're going to get into some things that have already just happened because the Conference of Parties is coming up, and there is a quatrain about COP26 in Scotland and how that really was a tipping point. But what's special about the quatrain is it actually mentions the Antichrist. Additionally, there was a tipping point achieved at the same time in the Amazon, and there's a quatrain about that, and it includes Jair Bolsonaro. Then I'm going to introduce some quatrains about the conflict in Israel and Gaza. There are some quatrains that talk about what's going on, and especially the original attack on October 7th. I had always seen this quatrain and it said attack from the sky. I had no idea it was meaning paragliders. Now, one of the things that's been bothering me again lately is not all of the events are in the quatrains. Take the February 6th earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. I haven't been able to locate them in there. And it kind of upsets me. It's like, why couldn't you just put a shout out about that? But I realized there's only 942 quatrains. There is one about that says February 6th, but if you're from France, you recognize that. And yes, that is what that quatrain's about. But there still are 58 missing quatrains. So I can always convince myself, well, maybe it was in there. But the reality is there are only 942 quatrains and there's only four lines per quatrain and only 10 syllables per line. Most people don't realize why the vast majority of quatrains cannot be figured out until after they have happened. That is how prophecy works. It is described in the preface, and that is so that you will see the quatrains that are written differently, and there are, and he points those out. Those are the quatrains that you, 
if you were born after the year 2000, need to figure out to figure out the point of the book because yes, it is actually written for you and yes, there is a quatrain about that. I'd also like to take a moment to apologize to all the French-speaking and cosmopolitan listeners who are aware that I hack French, but I do it for the reason I am trying to reach an audience that is very unfamiliar with this type of literature. Nostradamus for beginners. So thank you for your patience, but there's something in it for everyone. So where we left off on Quatrain 598 was predicting 48 degrees being hit in Europe, most likely Italy, France, or Spain. So let's take a look at Quatrain 448 and see if there's any tie-in there. Here's that Quatrain. The fertile, spacious Ausonian plain will produce so many gadflies and locusts, the solar brightness will become clouded, all devoured, great plague to come from them. Now in the first line it mentions the Ausonian plain. Ausonia is what the ancient Greeks called central and southern Italy. And then later the name poetically meant all of Italy. But Ausonia to the ancient Romans was a 4th century BC city in the central Italian region of Latium. It was one of the three cities possessed by the tribe, and its name seems to imply that it was their chief city or metropolis. They were all wiped out by the Romans, so I really feel it is this area that Nostradamus is talking about. There have been major locust outbreaks in Italy, especially in 2021, and twice that much in 2022, with a major locust outbreak, but it was in Sardinia, which officially is Italy, and even central Italy. But the worst locust outbreak in Sardinia was in 1946. So you could say that this quatrain might very well be about that outbreak. It was massive. But the original Ausonian plain is really in central Italy in the north and west parts of Campania. And it is a very fertile land, and much comes from it. From fruits and vegetables, to the durum wheat used to make the best pasta in the world. So what Nostradamus is saying here is there will be a massive swarm of locusts, so much that they cloud the view of the sun. So these two quatrains seem to be about an oncoming set of heat waves and the consequences of them. Which brings me back to Tweebe 2, which I said I would go over because where we are right now in the timeline of Tweebe 2 is going from Poem 44 to Poem 45. Now there are reasons, and I make the reason of the lost book and what an extreme comparison there is between the Book of Prophecy, Tweebe 2, and the Book of Prophecy, the lost book that is credited to one Michele Nostradami which was the Italian name he was running, circa 1547-ish, before he started publishing. Now, of course, he Latinized his name, but it was Scaliger who influenced him to do that, all the way back in 32. Scaliger wasn't Scaliger's real name. It's Latinized. But there is a much darker reason that Nostradamus draws our attention to Bay II and the comparison of it, like many make, to Nostradamus' Book of Prophecy. But when I explain the entire story of Tweebay II and what's going on right now with Nostradamus' Le Prophetise in the public world, you'll understand that there is a direct comparison. And we'll get to that. Now, to remind you, Tweebay II is a collection of 60 poems and drawings. Each poem has a short poem, 
a long four-line quatrain-style poem and a sketch that they call the graphic. And in the sketch, it depicts what's happening in the poems. There are 60 of them, and they are in chronological order. They go in the order of time. So one happens after another, and each one describes an epoch or an error more so than an event. We have just gone from poem 44 to poem 45. Poem 44 describes a new king or new emperor, and the graphic shows an emperor on a throne with someone asking for his help or he's taking orders from him. But it's very clear the emperor is smiling and he is in charge. The short poem ends with, all two-winged birds, which they use a hundred spirits in here, which are swallows, which are two-winged birds. So that's why when you see the translation online, you will see two-winged birds. All two-winged birds arrive at the court. Now these writers, much like Nostradamus, describe their political leaders at the time as birds. Two-winged birds all come, arrive at the court to see two-winged four-foot. Now the two-winged four-foot, that's the dragon. The long poem begins with, they have a new king, and they talk about him being a really nice guy, but not a hero. Now you understand that would mean that he ascended to power through the will of his peers as opposed to taking over through war or domination, which makes him an autocrat and not a dictator. So when we all just recently witnessed the leaders of the European Union visit with Xi Jinping and hold court, I realized this was the transition between poem 44 to poem 45 in Tuivei 2. The graphic of poem 45 is two men with spears, two soldiers. They're together fighting against the sun. They're trying to poke the sun with their spears. The short poem here reads, A guest from west comes to east and stops. Wood, fire, metal, water. Wash this big humiliation. That's the translation you'll read online. The words that are actually there are wood, fire, gold is used for metal. But we realize it means metal because those are four of the five elements from Chinese astrology. And then it says, wash this great shame. Great shame. Any coincidence? Like the pillar of shame? So, it's guest from west stops when reach east. Wood, fire, metal, water. Those are four of the five elements from Chinese astrology. The only thing that is missing is earth, like the ground you stand on and grow crops on. So that would indicate flooding. And the symbol for metal is gold, which in alchemy is the metal of the sun. So another indication that this poem is about the sun. The long poem reads, Fire period grand opens the world same. And the translation you'll see online is fiery fate the whole world shares. That's pretty close. But the second line is clear. The sun hidden in the middle of the white ocean. And the symbol for sun here is complex. And that's what we're going to get to now. Because one of the five elements that's causing the extra heat right now on Earth is the sun and the sunspots on it, giving extra irradiance. The third line. 
From now on, they dare not call themselves bosses. The word used is for male senior or superior, the ones in charge, rulers, el patrone. And the last line is, period has ended, weapons all destroyed. So this would seem to indicate that China is about to have a violent conflict with nature. Poem 46 starts with darkness. And that should be enough right there. But no, it goes on to say, don't need to draw a sword to kill. Thousands of people do live, but a single, an individual person, cannot escape. Which may infer that people who are bunkered survive, and bunkered altogether because China has large underground bunkers that hold thousands of people at one time. But we'll get back to that. In poem 45, line 1, a guest from the west comes east and stops. That's La Nina. So after this El Nino that we're having that's going to release the heat from the middle of the ocean where the sun is, as it says in this poem, China will experience bouts of extreme precipitation along with major melting of the high-altitude glacial water reserves that feed their rivers. Because when this El Nino ends, and El Nino starts, the heat goes to what we call the east, but west of us now, and it goes to China. So their situation is going to be compounded because their major rivers are fed by the high-altitude glaciers, which will be rapidly melting off. And this whole global warming thing, they really should just call ocean warming because it's the oceans that absorb all the heat from the sun, and I think people could relate to that. But it's currently climate-changed, and as this poem and prophecy points out, the sun's heat is trapped in the ocean. We call that La Nina, which is the little girl. And when that heat is released, that period is called El Nino, which is the little boy. And now the land is getting warm twice as fast and even more so at the higher altitudes, like the Pyrenees Mountains, the Himalayas, and the Tibetan Plateau. So the second line says the sun hidden in the middle of the white ocean. The white ocean means a very stormy sea. But the word sun has been translated because the word that actually used is the golden black crow, which is an ancient term for sunspots. Chinese astronomers had been recording solar activity since around 800 BC, and astronomers in China and Korea frequently observed sunspots. Well-established records of sunspots were made in 28 BC by Chinese astronomers during the reign of Emperor Chang of the Western Han Dynasty. Now, I bring these up because they also made records of Betelgeuse and said it was yellow. But we're going to get to that in a few minutes because it has turned red, which means it's burned up its hydrogen, its helium, and it's moving on to burning whatever it's got left. Now, Western astronomers didn't discover sunspots until really Galileo and David Fabricius and his son Johannes Fabricius, because up to that point in the telescope when they could actually see them, everybody believed in Aristotle's view of the world because that's what the church prescribed to, and that view was that the heavens were perfect, and so therefore the sun couldn't possibly be blemished. They thought those what they saw was maybe somehow outside the sun, or it was something else, or it was a disturbance they saw. 
it couldn't possibly be something wrong with the sun, until these scientists started drawing them. Galileo actually went blind over it. Now, these sunspots are often bigger than our entire planet. Sunspots are typically short-lived blemishes where magnetic fields are unusually powerful, appearing darker than the surrounding regions, thanks to their relatively lower temperatures. That is the black part of the three-legged golden black crow. These sunspots are also associated with our sun's more violent outbursts as magnetic field lines tangle, snap, and reconnect. They unleash incredible outbursts of energy in the form of coronal mass ejections and solar flares. That's the golden part of the golden black crow. And so why they use the three-legged black crow is more than just the imagery here in this poem. It's also to draw attention to the mythical story of the three-legged black crow. Because the three-legged black crow stood in the middle of the red sun and around the bird was a golden red hue. And on that day, it's the hottest time. And so whenever you see that bird, it means there's going to be a big drought. After these events, in poem 46, there is a single man, about a middle-aged common man, he almost looks like a peasant, and he is running from some kind of catastrophe behind him. And then after that, it shows how time goes on for a long stretch. The drawing in that one, 47, is, is an empty bookshelf. And so this coincides with Nostradamus's quatrain about centuries of not learning. About centuries where the studies of letters doesn't exist and has to be restarted up again. And speaking of fire, how about big red star Betelgeuse in the constellation of Orion going supernova? Is there a quatrain about that? Well, Nostradamus was an astrophile, so there must be. And here is quatrain 346. The sky of Plancus's city forebodes to us. Through clear signs and through fixed stars, that the time of its sudden change is approaching, neither for its good nor for its evils. It's Quatrain 346 that I believe is about Betelgeuse and the constellation Orion. So let's hear it again. The sky above Plancus's city forebodes to us through clear signs and fixed stars. Well, who's Plancus? He was a number two man to Julius Caesar in the Roman Empire. He was the governor of all of Africa. And then he ran Gaul, which is what we call today's France. He developed a new city there called Lugdunum. After Julius Caesar's death, he had to support Mark Anthony and the rest because he knew how politics worked. But then, as soon as Julius Caesar's adopted son, his actual great-nephew, Octavian, got old and developed and strong enough, he sided with Octavian. Julius Caesar was Octavian's great-uncle, but raised him as a son by introducing Octavianus to Roman political life and by including him on military campaigns and victory tours throughout the empire. So Julius Caesar brought Octavianus to meet Plancus in 45 BC. 
So Plancus knew him and knew him well. And so when he got old enough, Plancus sided with Octavian. And then he convinced Octavian to change his name to Augustus, who became the first emperor of Rome. Now, what does it mean through clear signs and through fixed stars? Well, they were still unaware of variable stars in Nostradamus' day. The first variable star that changed in brightness is Mira, the star of wonder, and it was discovered by German pastor David Fabricius in 1596, the same guy who 14 years later started working on sunspots. Fixed stars don't vary in their level of brightness, whereas variable stars do. And Betelgeuse is a variable star that increases and then dims in brightness. And we know that from comparing it to the fixed stars in the constellation of Orion, namely Regulus especially. So what about the clear signs? Orion sits between Taurus and Gemini, both clear signs, two of the well-known signs of the zodiac. Taurus being a fixed sign, Gemini being a mutable sign. But Orion sits between the two, clearly not in one or the other. That the time of its sudden change is approaching, neither for its good nor for its evils. Because, you know, in Nostradamus' day, if they saw something like that, I mean, educated mathematicians hadn't even figured out what that would be. We didn't see Tycho's supernova for another 20 years. So the vast majority of people would think it was some kind of omen of the end. And he's saying, no, it's just the star. It just needs to change. It's not for good or for evil. It's just about change. And although Betelgeuse is a variable star, the great dimming in 2021 was extreme. Within months, it had in fact dimmed by about 60%. This was eventually shown to be caused by a cloud. Stars such as Betelgeuse are continuously expelling gas and dust. A clump of gas caused its own wind, as large as the star itself, was obscuring half the star. The cloud eventually dissipated, and the star's brightness returned to normal. But now there has been a sudden brightening. It is now 50% brighter than usual. It's thought that the extreme brightening could be due to the same dust cloud now reflecting the light from the star towards us and making it appear brighter. But as far as that meaning it will go supernova, can't be assumed. A supernova explosion for Betelgeuse would be triggered in the core, while these brightness variations are a surface phenomenon. So now let's come back to the place of Plancus's city. And where is Plancus's city? Well, as I said, he was the governor of Africa, basically hung out in Alexandria. And then he was transferred to Gaul, where he founded a city named Lugdunum, which is now Lyon, Lyon, France, in the approximate location of the former Lugdunum. Plancus founded the city Lugdunum in Gaul, where most of the population was Celtic. Their great mythological warrior hero was named Lug. Julius Caesar compared Lug to the Roman god Mercury, made a direct comparison, and he thought this was a good idea. Lug happened to be a young man, good head of hair, 
carried a shield, a spear, a sling, and he had a dog. Orion was a hunter-warrior god of the Greeks. They were both semi-gods, I should say. But Orion, young, healthy man, good head of hair, had a shield, a spear, a bow, and two dogs. And, of course, he had to have two dogs because of Canis Major and Canis Minor. But you can see the similarity in the visual aspects of their two mythical figures. In addition, the Egyptians felt Osiris lived and came from the constellation of Orion. Osiris could travel back and forth to the underworld. Now, as I said, Julius Caesar compared Lug to Mercury. Mercury could travel back and forth to the underworld. So you have two references from places where Plancus lived and ruled that point to the constellation Orion. But especially for Lug, the warrior hunter god, and Orion, the warrior hunter god. You're going to see a lot of content in the near future credited to Nostradamus about this war in Israel. And I just wanted to cut through the chatter and let you know what is actually there. And you ask yourself, is this situation going to be in the quatrains? Well, it is a holy war in the Mediterranean. You bet it's going to be in the quatrains. And so let's begin at the beginning. And that would be quatrain 532. Here it is. Where all is good, the sun beneficial, and the moon is abundant, its ruin approaches. From the sky it advances to change your fortune, in the same state as the seventh rock. Okay, where is the seventh rock? And where all is good? Where is it all good? where the sun is beneficial, and the moon, here he uses Luna for the moon, and consistently that has meant Islam. When he actually means the moon, he'll usually use a mythological reference like Phoebe or Selene. But here it says Luna. This would mean that Islam is abundant. So where is it all good, and the sunshine beneficial, and Islam is abundant? And it says that place. Its ruin approaches. From the sky, it advances to change your fortune in the same state as the seventh rock. Now, in the preface, it says you have to identify the event and then apply the quatrain. And that is how prophecy works. There is a point to that. It's so you'll be able to figure out the main prophecy of the book. So, when analyzing what would be the seventh rock, Nostradamus would be using a mythological reference. Greek mythology, Roman mythology, and biblical prophecy from the same era. But also Judaic mythology. In Judaic mythology, on the first day of creation, God created seven earths corresponding to the seven heavens. And there are seven hells, so keep that in mind. The lowest earth, the seventh, is called Erez. So, we're talking about the same state as Erez. Erez is a kibbutz in southwestern Israel, which sits just about a half mile or 700 meters 
north of the Gaza Strip. It is the namesake of the nearby Erez Crossing. Erez Yisrael means the land of Israel. It's a biblical name for the territory roughly corresponding to the area encompassed by the southern Levant. Related biblical, religious, and historical English terms include the land of Canaan, the promised land, the holy land, and Palestine. This territory is mentioned in biblical passages, specifically in Genesis 15, Exodus 23, Deuteronomy 34, and Ezekiel 47. The definition of Erez Israel in the dictionary is the holy land, Israel. It's only from the Second Temple period onward that Erez Yisrael became the current appellation of the Promised Land. It was the official Hebrew title of the area governed by the British Mandate after World War I until 1948. And is there a quatrain about that? You bet there is, and it's 397. Now let's just take a break and, and bring that in. And here's a quatrain for all the people that believe Nostradamus quatrains can be used to fit anything. You go ahead with this one. This is Quatrain 397, and it is about the British Mandate and the beginning of Israel. New law for the inhabitants of a newly established land towards Syria, Judea, and Palestine. The great barbarian empire to collapse before the end of the moon's determined cycle. And that would be 1927. The British Mandate started after the collapse of the Barbarian Empire, the Ottoman Empire, the end of World War I. It started to take shape in the early 20s, but by 1927, much local government had been formed. There was even the Palestine Pound, newly established as currency. So everything looked good by 1927. This quatrain is solid, and I will go over it in much more detail because it ties in with a much more complicated quatrain about Louis Pasteur, Alexander Fleming, and Nostradamus rosehip lozenges making penicillin. But back to the attack on Eretz Yisrael. The site of this particular kibbutz, Erez, which was established in 1949, the site of which goes back thousands of years, and is now in an area with about 125,000 people living in the same way. It's called the kibbutzim. They call themselves kibbutzniks, and they produce about 40% of the agriculture that comes out of Israel, proving in that area that for them the sun is very beneficial. The kibbutzim go back to the time of founding Israel when small groups of people set up communities based on the idea of communal living. So for these 125,000 people, live across approximately 250 kibbutzim in Israel. According to the Jewish Agency for Israel, they live there because they see it as a symbol of safety and the good life. So this is the place where all is good and the sun is beneficial. These residents are really viewed as left-leaning. Many disapprove of the current ultra-nationalist Israeli government's policies towards Gaza and the West Bank. Many of the residents who live there believe in peace, coexistence, and mutual respect, and had friends in Gaza. As I mentioned, the Erez Kibbutz is the namesake of the nearby Erez Crossing. The Erez Crossing was the looming symbol of Israel's security infrastructure at the far north of the Gaza Strip. It was the only place where people can walk from Israel to Gaza. Normal people that are trying to get out of Gaza and into Israel 
or vice versa. This is the only place. There's an exit in the south, but it only goes to Egypt, and you need a passport to get out. So this is the place where people can walk in and out. This is the big place. It's a maze of rooms populated with cameras and high-tech scanners. Double tiger trap doors, all overseen by Israeli officials, deliver commands by loudspeaker. It's also a surveillance and communications hub set into a high concrete wall that guards that part of Gaza. Gunmen from the Palestinian group Hamas, which governs Gaza, attacked the Erez crossing on October 7th during a dawn raid on the facility. It began at daybreak with a detonation from what appeared to be an anti-tank guided missile. And then that crossing was stormed by militia. It started with explosive charges on the wall, and then they brought bulldozers. At one point, ripping a 70-meter or 230-foot hole in the wall and many holes elsewhere in the wall. This was following a missile attack that Hamas says included 5,000 missiles. In addition, advancing from the sky were paragliders that came armed to attack and kill civilians. That's the it when Nostradamus says, from the sky, it advances to change your fortune. It also, ironically, is the same with the Erez crossing, beginning with the detonation of a missile. So again, the fourth line is in the same state as the seventh rock. That would be the Jewish state of Israel, because the seventh rock is Erez. And this is what is meant by its ruined approaches. Only Nostradamus couldn't give the day because Hamas would have just picked another day. This is what you must realize. They would have picked a different plan, a different way. So it's impossible for Nostradamus to actually give the moment and time in the prediction because Hamas reads Nostradamus as well as ISIS and Hezbollah. So you can't just give certain details. Sad but true. And that is all explained in the preface. And that's why, for the most part, there are never quatrains that have years on them. There are some, and they did come true, but there are no quatrains that said, in the year 2023, this is going to happen. In the year 2024, that's going to happen. So you've got to avoid all that disinformation. There's going to be a lot of it about this war, just like the Ukraine war. But I'll go through some more of the quatrains. Please do everything you can, like like, subscribe, and follow, to help these messages reach other people. And thanks for listening.